0: welcome to keith knight don't tread on anyone today we're going to talk about logical fallacies with james corbett of thecorbettreport.com make sure to check out his video wtc 1993 was an fbi job at corbettreport.com check him out at bit for just one dollar a month you can fund his excellent archive of research james thank you so much for taking the time to uh, discuss uh, one of my favorite topics
1: Thank you for having me on, and thank you for plugging that particular video, which has got to be pushing, what, 11 years old? Maybe 12 years old at this point? That's <laughs> digging deep in the archives.
0: Oh, yeah. it's uh, that, That's what uh, first drew me in. So I uh, i thought we'd discuss 10 fallacies. Each of us would do five. So, James, start us off with uh, one of uh, the fallacies you think is most important for us uh, to know about in order for us uh, not to be manipulated by politicians, priests, bosses, and media like.
1: Exactly. Even independent media, because they can employ these fallacies too. So don't ever turn the critical thinking switch off. But I actually wanted to start this conversation, because it is an important conversation to have to be able to identify and name logical fallacies so you know when someone is making a fallacious argument so you can point that out. But I want to start by framing this conversation by talking about the fallacy fallacy, which, for people who have never heard, this is the idea that uh, it... uh, well, let's, let's point out, first of all, there are a million different sites where you can get different lists of logical fallacies, and often they have different names for some of the same concepts, or some of the same concepts have slightly different definitions. Everyone has sort of their own... De- There's no single master list of logical fallacies, so that's one of the issues you encounter when you start trying to nail some of these down, but let's go for your your logical fallacy is dot com for the definition of the fallacy fallacy which is you presumed that because a claim has been poorly argued or a fallacy has been made that the claim itself must be wrong and it says it is entirely possible to make a claim that is false yet argue with logical coherency for that claim just as it is possible to make a claim that is true and justify it with various fallacious and poor arguments and i think this is an important fallacy in order to set the table for this conversation because sometimes the impression can be given that all you need to do is be able to identify is this a logically valid claim or is this a logically fallacious claim and if it's if there is a logical fallacy you just point out oh look you made a fallacious argument therefore you're wrong therefore your conclusion is wrong, therefore I'm right, essentially. Um, It's almost like a type of game or a magic trick that you pull out of a, a bag when you're debating someone. And that is in and of itself a fallacy. Just because someone has employed a fallacy in their line of thinking does not mean that their conclusion is wrong. Their conclusion could be completely correct they're just not making a valid argument for that conclusion so you have to go back to brass tacks and figure out well wh- what is the argument that can be made for this conclusion so that's the way i want to frame what we're talking about today just being able to identify that a, f- a claim a, a, an argument is valid or invalid is fallacious or not is not in and of itself something that will arrive at truth all by itself. No, you still need to actually construct a valid and coherent argument based on valid premises that follow one from another that lead to a valid conclusion. And then you have to verify that were those premises correct? Is that conclusion correct? There is no, again, as I keep coming back to in so much of my work, there is no shortcut to truth you have to go through the critical thinking process and you have to interrogate every assumption. And just because of a, a claim is fallacious does not mean that it's the conclusion is incorrect.
0: Oh yes. Uh- Excellent one. Uh, the uh, first one that came to mind was uh, one that uh, Ayn Rand actually introduced me to called the argument from intimidation. This is anything that shows disapproval in one idea or another. We see this a lot on social media when someone just responds, ha, 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 ha good luck with that idea. Or uh, how's that working for you? Or someone just will respond with a gif or a sigh, or they'll say, you really don't think that, do you? Or they'll, oh, come on, you're, you're smarter than Than that, it's anything to show disapproval. She says that it's a means of forestalling debate and extorting an opponent's agreement with one's undiscussed notions. It's a sense of psychological pressure. So, uh, someone uh, I heard George Bush on his uh, discussion with Peter Robinson say, uh, uh, "Only an ahistorical, utopian isolationist could really think that we could leave the Middle East." It's like really of anyone throwing stones, it's this guy in like the glassiest house that uh, that, that has ever been created. Um, uh, you, you'll get this a lot when you're asking for definitions. So when you say, "Okay," so before we you know criticize government, corporation, socialism, capitalism, the free market let's just define our terms oh really i'm not gonna you know of course i know what i'm talking about when i say socialism government capitalism free market it's like you won't get them to really narrow down their focus i really saw this oh this really pissed me off when pam anderson of all people was talking to megan mccain who's by the way her father was a hero, uh, in case you haven't heard. Um, she said when Pam Anderson was saying, Yeah, it's important that Julian Assange expose these war crimes. Megan McCain goes, And Putin agrees. The argument from intimidation is anything that shows disapproval. It's anything that uh, means to say, Oh, but people won't like you. Oh, you're not par- popular. You're not part of the cool club. Anything like that is the argument from intimidation, and it is fallacious.
1: So you're saying that uh, posting a reaction GIF or reaction image of uh, Picard doing the facepalm is not an adequate response to someone's <laughs> argument?
0: It is not an adequate response. It's funny, and it gets a lot of people to uh, say, oh, well, if I want to be cool and popular, oh, this has a thousand likes, but I guess it doesn't need addressing. I can just oppose this without actually thinking. Yes, that, yeah. that is what
1: I'm saying. Yeah. Well, a- again, it's also important to differentiate the types of communication that people are engaging in, and not everyone is always trying to make a logical argument for what they believe. Um, again, sometimes you do just react with a reaction image or something like that. But, <laughs> something. Yeah. But it is not an argument. That's the important part. Okay. Um, okay. My next one is the appeal to authority, which, of course will be familiar to everyone in the audience because everyone employs it all the time in debates endlessly. Whether you are a uh, conspiracy theorist or a conspiracy realist or not, you will have encountered this and probably employed it yourself. I am no exception to this. I have employed it before as well. Um, It is very tempting. It's very easy. It's very lazy to do. Essentially, the the appeal to authority is saying, well, this respected source says this information, therefore, we must believe this conclusion, which, of course, is a fallacious line of argument, just because a respected source believes or propounds a certain idea does not logically follow that their conclusions are correct. So, for example, when we look at the collapse of World Trade Center buildings, that the collapse, the, that kind of prejudges things, doesn't it? The, uh, the demolition event uh, of World Trade Center Building 7 on 9-11, Uh, it, that building did not fall because Dr. Leroy Holsey at the University of Alaska Fairbanks has a, you know, a lot of letters after his name and he's a respected professor of civil engineering. Uh, no, it, it fell because of this and this and this and this particular reason. And we can say that the NIST report was wrong about this and they got this factually incorrect. And you can go through hundreds of pages of documentation. Um, I believe there's now almost a terabyte of data that, uh, the UAF uh, team led by Dr. Holsey has released on their new World Trade Center 7 collapse investigation. If you haven't heard about that, please check into it. I'll put the link in the show notes. But um, they've released all this data and their report, and it's open for public comment and all of this. That is what people should be concentrating on, not the fact that this respected professor at this university said it. And vice versa for all sides of argument, just because someone has credentials or letters after their name does not logically follow that they are correct about what they're speaking about.
0: Oh, sure, sure. Uh Excellent points there. My uh, m- my next fall- fallacy sorry, is uh, referred to as avoiding the root. And this occurs when the arguer critiques an arbitrary, accidental, or trivial aspect of an argument in place of addressing the primary concern. So when Bill Ayers is on the Alex Jones show, and Alex Jones says, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't give you know this group of people so much power. Look, here's a picture of the OSS funding Ho Chi Minh, training him, et cetera. You know, maybe we should be anti-government, be skeptical. And Bill Ayers' response: So, so you don't like roads? Well, obviously, that is not what he's trying to address in his criticism. This all this always comes across. You don't like the CIA? What's wrong with collecting information? Collecting information is not the problem with the Central Intelligence Agency. One, they're coercively funded. Two, they get away with mass murder. Uh, a, another great example is, um, whenever you say, yeah, I don't think the state should be involved in funding schools in the same way. You know, I don't believe that you should be forced to fund the Catholic church, even though a lot of uh, priests have some great teachings. A lot of great rabbis have some great teachings, but I don't think you should be forced to fund them. Just like, I don't think you should be forced to fund state schools. You're always met with, so you don't care about education. no, I got like 400 videos trying to educate people for free, and these people are asking me, oh, you don't like education? Or if you say, I don't think people should be kidnapped for victimless crimes. Oh, so you just want everyone to be a prostitute? You just want everyone to use drugs? Well, uh, of course not, no. I'm saying it's wrong to initiate violence against peaceful people. And the other person is avoiding the root concern that I'm trying to address by (laughs) By mentioning something so ridiculous, the most obvious example is Russell Brand saying, you know, communism and socialism are just really words for sharing. No, sharing can exist under any society when someone gives someone something. What makes socialism unique is the institutionalized aggression against private property and individuals. So avoiding the root is one I see all the time. That's why I thought it would be of value to mention hey james, james what's next for us
1: yeah well thank you for that and yeah <laughs> just another word for sharing that's hilarious uh I, I, here's a theorem for you uh people's adherence to socialist ideology is in exact inverse proportion to their understanding of what socialism is <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, so, yeah.
1: and i that's that's something i've encountered throughout my life anyway uh, all right uh, that's a very good point um well, let me broach another fallacy that I see employed all the time and that I will say mea culpa. I do use this from time to time when I should be checking, checking what I'm saying um, and certainly not putting it forward as an argument. This is the genetic fallacy. Essentially this fallacy is that because this source said this particular thing, this this information comes from this particular source, therefore it is to be trusted or it is not to be trusted. And we can conclude, you know, oh, okay, so this is true because this source this source said it. And so the, the idea here is, for example, I'm sure you've had this argument a million times with normies. Yeah, but the New York Times says that the Russians interfered with the election or something like that. Um, and you could say... Yeah, the New York Times. Well, they're wrong about everything, so I guess we can conclude that the Russians didn't do it. Of course, both of those are, are they're kind of mirror image logical fallacies because one is saying because the New York Times says it, it must be true, and you're saying because the New York Times says it, it must not be true. Well, neither one is correct because, of course, the New York Times does. Publish factual, real, true, verifiable information, and it does post, uh, publish lies and slander and misinformation. So, again, the onus is on the person who is using that information to verify that information. And sometimes that's impossible from a third party perspective. Sometimes you have to just throw your hands up and say, well, I don't know, but they are reporting this. And that's fair enough, and you are saying in your premise there, well, this may not be true, but if it is true, then blah, blah, blah. Okay, fair enough. That's one way to proceed. But to dismiss information or to accept information simply because of the source of that information is, of course, a logical fallacy. And as I say, I find myself slipping into that, and I do employ that from time to time. Oh, you know, the lying liars of the MSM said blah, blah, blah therefore it's not true. Again, that is a logical fallacy. That is not a valid argument. We should not be lazy in actually putting that forward as an argument if we are trying to argue in a logically coherent and consistent way.
0: Oh yes, that is definitely a common one. My next one is the logical fallacy of... The golden middle, this one is so exhausting just because of how often you come across it. Long story short, it claims that that which is true and moral is that which is a middle ground between two given positions. The problem is, is that so often two of the given positions are completely manipulated and unjustified in the first place. It's the equivalent of saying, well, there's the Democrats and then there's the Republicans. We don't want to be on either extreme. Therefore, let's meet in the middle. This way, everyone sort of gets what uh, what they want and what they're interested in. That's that's the right thing to do. (laughs) I'm sorry. What? Mitt Romney. Mitt Mitt Romney, yes. The 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 kind, virtuous moderate. Um so uh what we need to get rid of the extremists. Well calling a position extreme is totally dependent on what time they're saying it and why they are saying it, in what geographical area they're saying it, at what time. So of course, the fact that something is a middle ground between two terrible ideas, it's the equivalent of me saying, uh, I want to steal $100 from Mark, you want to steal $0 from Mark. So the right thing to do is to steal $50 from Mark. Because, you know, we don't want either of us to win, we kind of want to find a middle ground. Compromise is the essence of that which is right, it's that which is virtuous. They constantly will do this. So they'll just have... George Bush running against John Kerry, uh, debating how many troops should be in Iraq. No, 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 no. Is it okay to invade a country and kill civilians while coercively funding the operation, classifying all the documents? That's the primary issue here. Not, uh, <laughs> what is the technicality? Kerry at one point proposed sending 40,000 more troops to Iraq. It's such a joke. Um, yeah, so they'll call you a gun extremist if you believe the state shouldn't have a monopoly on guns, something totally ridiculous. Or they call you far right or far left. You, you don't believe in intellectual property. You don't believe ideas can be owned. You're far left. You know, y- you don't believe the state should monopolize weaponry. You're far right. It, it's just so ridiculous. That's why... The fallacy of the golden middle is so dangerous. James, what's our next one?
1: Excellent point. And let me just say, I would remind you that extremism in the defense of of liberty is no vice. And let me remind you also that moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. Of course, Barry Goldwater from his uh, 1964 Republican presidential candidate acceptance speech. And very true words. So yes, let's avoid uh, the golden middle fallacy. Um, My next fallacy is moving the goalposts which is when you make an argument and you establish that if such and such a condition is met, then this, but then that condition is not met. And so you say, well, that's okay, because let's change the the argument and, oh, now it's okay again. Um, now, th- uh, the very specific example that immediately leaps to mind with so many of these types of argument, uh, fallacies actually, but specifically with moving the goalposts is, of course, Global warming. Oh, oh, wait, no, not global warming. Uh, climate change. No, 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 not climate change. Uh, climate weirding. Sorry. Wait, no. What's what are they calling it this week? Oh, that's right. Because they keep moving the goalposts. Oh, it was stri- fairly straightforward as it was presented to the world in the 1980s. The global average temperature is rising. This will lead to warmer summers and war- warmer winters. There will be less less ice, uh, less snow in the in the winters, and blah, 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 etc. etc. But that, of course, didn't pan out. So, of course, it starts to change. Well, no. I mean, it means that there will be climate variations, that there will be just change. There will be change in climate. And, oh, well, OK, so it's not changing enough. Well, all right then climate weirding. It's, it's slightly strange this week, so we'll call it climate weirding. Um, again, people can see the goalposts have been moved over and over and over with regards to global... Well, again, what do you call it? Climate change, I guess, is probably the one most people know it as. And that's something that I've pointed out in many different aspects, including a video that I don't have queued up, so I don't remember the exact title. Um, I believe it was Global Warming is... unfalsifiable pseudoscientific (laughs) woo-woo, something like that. I'll put the link in the show notes in case you want to see that. But that gives a good example of how the arguments in favor of global warming, the things, the predictions have been uh, at times flatly contradictory absolutely contradicting each other. This will lead to rising sea level. This will lead to lowering sea level. This will lead to more droughts. This will lead to more floods. This will lead to more w- snow. This will lead to less snow. This will lead to dark- redder leaves in the winter. This will lead to l- lighter leaves and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, as, as I say, it's documented in that particular video that I did where e- essentially it's unfalsifiable, And that's, again, I, that's, that's an aspect of this moving the goalposts. So, Although well, this crosses over into a few different fa- fallacies.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony Heller and uh, Jan Hellfeld have done so much great work on the climate change hoax, how it's gone from cooling to global warming to climate change. Just something so vague and unfalsifiable, like we've gone from an ice age to not an ice age over time. OK, that's global warming. I, uh, that that. That was an excellent point. I almost feel bad introducing my next one. Um, so uh, the, my next fallacy is the fallacy of non-anticipation. It consists of supposing that everything worth doing or saying has already been done or said. Any new idea is rejected on grounds that if it were any good, it would be part of current wisdom. The, the way I get this all the time is, oh, pfft, if X were true, don't you think we would know about it? It's like, first of all, a, a lot of stuff is true, and it's just not part of popular mainstream culture. It's like I, uh, what I always ask people is if they've read the intimate papers of Colonel House, you know, maybe page 432 regarding the Lusitania. I don't know. And then a, a, and then they just have this look on their face. Or I ask them about the McCullen memo. That is a, it, It's amazing that when people say if it were true, it would have gotten out. I mean, yeah, we have General Michael Flynn on Al Jazeera pretty much saying that, yeah, the U.S. funded Al Qaeda in 2011-2011. Uh, To fight Assad. If it were true, it would be out, is not an actual response to what the arguer is saying. Another time we get this is well, if applying the non aggression principle consistently was such a good idea, why hasn't any society done so? well, because people value initiating aggression against peaceful people and they don't value admitting they've been wrong for the previous whatever number of years they've been alive. It's not a valid argument. It's often used when people can't argue against new ideas. It is the logical extension of saying, well, if that song, movie, or invention was worthwhile, it would have been, it would have arisen already. It would have come to fruition already. So nothing new is ever good. It's just a defense of the statist, illogical, irrational status quo. uh, Progress happens in philosophy just as it happens in inventions and any other format that uh, human beings interact.
1: Yeah, it's a very good point. And interestingly, it brings to my mind the obverse, which is something to the effect of, well, This isn't new. We already knew this information, therefore it is not important. I'm not sure that necessarily qualifies as a fallacy, but it is certainly a disinformation tactic that people, I think unwittingly a lot of the time, employ. Uh, When you report some information about some government spying program or something, yeah, but we already knew they were spying on us, so it doesn't matter. Well, no, actually it does matter to know the details of various things, and it is a disinformation tactic to try to sweep things under the rug by simply saying it's not new. And as you say, that, of course, is a fallacy when you say, well, it is. If it if it was worth anything, it would have already been here. We would have already known about it. We would have already tried it. Okay, well, my next fallacy... Actually, my next thing is an example. And I think there are a few different ways that you could parse this for fallacies. I mean, it's clearly a fallacious argument, but... Which type of fallacious argument I think is up for some degree of debate, and I want to use this as an example to show that it is not always clear cut and dry exactly what the argument is because no one speaks in logical syllogisms or anything. You know, all men are animals uh, or all men are mammals and, you know, Socrates is a mammal, therefore he's a, Whatever, you know, those types of logical syllogisms. No one speaks like that. They speak in natural language that has often implied premises and you're supposed to infer various things and you come to a conclusion, but sometimes even the conclusion isn't plainly stated. So my example comes from, I've I've mentioned this several times because it still astounds me how ridiculous this is, especially coming from Michael Shermer, who, of course, wrote, as we've talked about before, uh, Why People Believe Weird Things, and he's the guy who's, who's written entire books about logically fallacious arguments and, and things like this, and yet has employed the stupidest argument I have ever seen to uh, uphold the findings of the Warren Commission in the JFK assassination. That comes from an article that was originally published back in 2010. Uh, It's up on HuffPost.com. My day in Dealey Plaza. Why JFK was killed by a lone assassin. So that is what he's setting out to prove. JFK was killed by a lone assassin. And yes, of course, he's going to say it was Lee Harvey Oswald. So here's his argument. On Tuesday, December 7th, I walked through and around Dealey Plaza in Dallas, where JFK was assassinated by a lone assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, LHO. Or was he? A lone assassin, that is. Yes, he was. But that is not what anyone giving informal tours of the plaza will have you believe if you give them a few minutes and a few bucks. Blah, blah, blah. He goes around talking about the crazy conspiracy people handing out flyers. He talks about, you know, the various aspects of Dealey Plaza being there in person. But then he says, The most striking thing about being in Dealey Plaza for me was how small it is. Perhaps because the assassination itself was bigger than life. We expect the geography to match the eventuality, but that is certainly not the case here. Two X's on the street mark where JFK was hit, first in the throat, causing his arms to move up and splay out, and second where the bullet found its cranial mark and le- literally blew his brains out, and according to one conspiracy, th- conspiracies there, sent the skullcap flying across the street and onto the adjacent lawn. What is astounding is how close both X's are to the sniper's... next? I, I think that's a typo. Sniper's nest in the book depository building both from the street level looking up and from the window looking down there is a museum on the 6th floor from which you can gain the perspective of the assassin it seems clear that Oswald could hardly have missed given the fact that he was a designated sharpshooter by the marines during his time in the service and the fact that Kennedy's car was traveling less than 10 miles per hour after making the sharp left turn onto Elm Street one is left whispering under one's breath Kennedy was a sitting duck look at the two photographs at the end of this post each taken from one of the X's on the street the window from which Oswald fired is the square window on the far right of the building, second from the top. Is it really necessary to invent additional assassins when it is obvious that one could have done the job? No. LHO acted alone in killing JFK QED. <laughs> which is, that is the argument. That is the stupidest most logically fallacious argument I have ever encountered, let alone by the self-proclaimed king of the skeptics who's going to tell you about logically fallacious reasoning. And it, it is so logically fallacious that I can't really decide which logical fallacy I would pin this down to. I, I think personal incredulity has something to do with it. For example, the idea that I cannot understand or I cannot believe that something happened. Therefore, it didn't happen. In this case, I can't understand or believe how this could be a conspiracy. Therefore, it isn't a conspiracy. But that doesn't seem to capture the essence of Shermer's argument here. Perhaps it's jumping to conclusions, which he clearly is doing, or oversimplification. Or this may be an either-or type of argument, where either the, ex- the exes on the street are close enough to the sniper's nest, or... Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill JFK or something like that, which of course is a, a false uh, dilemma. Um, or it's the simple truth fallacy, sometimes called the plain truth fallacy, that the truth must be simple, must be the simplest possible explanation. And the simplest possible explanation is that Lee Harvey o- Oswald did it, therefore he did it. Which of course, I mean, all of the, whatever way you choose to frame that argument, it is, it is clearly fallacious. I could even almost call it a non sequitur. <laughs> I mean, the the window is not far from the X. Therefore, Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK alone. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many things missing from that line of argumentation that you, how do you even, de- I'm not even sure you can call it an illogical argument. At any rate, it is fallacious.
0: Oh, Shermer is an absolute nightmare. My uh, my uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have any more?
1: No, no, no. That that was it. I just I wholeheartedly agree that nightmare was a good word for them.
0: <laughs> my my final one is unattainable perfection. Um, this is when uh someone says any imperfections in your claim argument, theory, are grounds for total dismissal. In other words, you tell me exactly what happened on 9-11 with all individuals involved and institutions, or... The official source, is true. It's like they've had the same story since day one, and nothing really has, nothing else has come to fruition, really. So, a- any questions about this? Says, so you tell me, a, you give me a source questioning 9 11 that's 100% totally accurate, and then I'll consider you. Well, of course, I can't give you something 100% accurate, but. The problem is is that's unattainable. It applies to every other person or individual. It applies to Ehud Barak, who on day one said, we know who's behind this. We know it was bin Laden. So yes, it applies to every person and every organization. It's often seen when someone says, well, yeah, person X said that, but person X is biased. Name one person or group of persons who is not biased. By choosing one topic over another means you're biased towards one topic or another. It's absolutely impossible uh, because, um, uh, the, the, long story short, even every alternative has the same flaws as what you point out in your argument against whatever the arguer is claiming. You'll often see this when someone says, what is the guarantee that your source or your claim is 100% correct? What is the guarantee that in the absence of a coercively funded monopoly state that every judge will give a fair trial? Well, there is no guarantee in a voluntarist society. Also, there's no guarantee now they cage people for victimless crimes. Edward Snowden so obviously knows he can't get a fair deal that he's just staying overseas. The guy who blew the drone on, uh, who blew the whistle on the drone project is getting a terrible deal now. So of course, when it always applies, but they say, no, it uniquely applies to your position. It's an absolute logical fallacy. You see this today you know, if the U.S. leaves Syria, bad things might happen in Syria. Yeah, well, bad things also happened when the U.S. funded ISIS in Syria and, and Al-Qaeda. Oh, if the U.S. leaves Iraq, bad things might happen in Iraq. If the FDA doesn't monopolize giving permission to everything human beings can consume, bad things might happen. People might fall ill. Yeah, well, people fall ill because they stop things from coming forward because they have no incentive to approve things that will make the populace healthy because they're coercively funded, for heaven's sakes. So again, the biggest one here is, well, you know, if the state doesn't monopolize AR-15s, People might engage in violence. Um, I'm sorry, do governments engage in violence against uh, the uh, disarmed populace? Ha- has that ever happened? So, uh, unattainable perfection or the always applicable fallacy is a very important one. James, uh, you got uh, any more uh, ammo for us against the uh, f- fallacious status and irrational Michael Shermers of the world?
1: Nice segue. I see what you did there. Um, no, let me just echo that last one. I think that is a very important one. Either you tell us how we will completely eliminate all all problems in the world and make everyone absolutely happy, or we just have to go along with the status quo as it is. Uh, is such a It's such a stupid argument when you break it down like that. But it is employed all the time, especially by statists arguing for why we need the government. You tell, you show me exactly how every person in the world will be perfectly taken care of without government or we have to go with government. Wait, is everyone in the world perfectly taken care of with government? No, I don't think, I don't think so. So maybe there's a problem with that argument. Okay, excellent. Uh, And I think, I think that we have demonstrated here even in the examples that we're talking about the fact that these lines between different fallacies are not always so clear cut there are there are very many examples where you could say well it, it is that type of fallacy well you could also say it's that type of fallacy there are subsets of different fallacies as i say there is no there is no master list this is the list of fallacies and every fallacy will neatly fit into one of these no there's there's overlap there's there's subsets there's questions about what to call this fallacy and how to label that one but at the end of the day Hopefully, at least people can identify the fallacious arguments. And as I say, we have different modes of communication where we're trying to do different things. We are not always trying to make a logical argument to convince someone of our conclusion. Sometimes we are trying to make fun of something to signal to our people who believe what we believe that, uh, you know, this guy's being silly or whatever. And we're not always trying to make a logical argument. But when we are, when we are trying to convince someone, it is important to be able to identify and remove logical fallacies from our argument when and if possible. And I think that's the point of this conversation. And I hope we did a job of at least stimulating that. I would love to see some input from the people out there please contribute your ideas. What fallacies do you particularly enjoy? Enjoy spotting or enjoy employing? uh, If you're trying to bamboozle someone, I don't know. Uh, But just give us some examples that you see out there. There are no lack of examples of that in daily discourse, unfortunately. So uh, we'll keep uh, hammering at topics like this until we eliminate all logical fallacies from the face (laughs) of the planet. Right, Keith? (laughs)
0: yes yes and 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 of course i've always my my audience loves when i play the gotcha question with james corbett at the very end i try to throw him a curveball so my final question to you james if you could interview one historical person no longer living who would it be and what would you talk to them about Mm -hmm.
1: Wow, that is a good one. I like that. Um, I thought you were going to give me the book question again. (laughs) Oh, yeah, (laughs) right. Uh,
0: Please, can can you not insult me with being that unoriginal?
1: (laughs) I just want to say, by the way, uh, I think... You interviewed David Friedman, right? And you asked him the book question? And his answer was the best uh, answer.
0: Oh, no. Um, His answer was a non-answer. Different people... Yeah, but it it was the best answer.
1: It cannot be answered.
0: So what I did was I plugged one of his dad's books, and then I I knew that would ignite him to plug one. So I got him. I ended up getting him in the end.
1: (laughs) All right. Okay. I'm not judging the question. Who would I interview if I could interview absolutely any historical figure? Oh, man! Oh man! Now you're putting me on the spot because it can't just be anything. It has to be something really momentous, portentous, something really important right. Um, sure, how about the historical figure Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth? That would be an interesting interview, don't you think? <laughs> uh, um,
0: yes, yes, it would finally uh, an- answer some questions. And uh, m- m- the, the two sides of my family need more to fight about. So, yeah, that, that
1: would be great. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, well, okay, let's go with that. I think that's as good an answer as any. I, you know. And then there will be people in the audience that will say, well, I, well, there was no historical figure. So, you know. <laughs> but anyway, assuming there was an historical figure, yeah, sure. I'd interview Jesus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, James, th- thanks so much for uh, coming on. And I thought I would do the quote, at the end, as I've started to. uh, This is from Mosai, a philosopher from the 5th century before Christ, allegedly. The murder of one person is called unrighteous and incurs one death penalty. Following this argument, the murder of 10 persons will be 10 times As unrighteous and therefore should get 10 times the death penalty, the murder of 100 persons will be 100 times as unrighteous and therefore should be 100 death penalties. All gentlemen of the world know that they should condemn these things, calling them unrighteous. But when it comes to the great unrighteousness of states attacking states, they do not know they should condemn it. On the contrary, they applaud it, calling it righteous. James, thanks so much for joining me on Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone. And thank you for watching.
1: Thank you. I always enjoy it. Take care. Bye.